Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Not just a song, huh? They say an uh, important part of communication, holding a crowd, tell a good story. That storytelling is, is vital to the ability to keep people listening to what you're wanting to say. Uh, the trick is the story's got to be relevant if we don't care, no matter how good the story is. At, in, in Jesus' time, Jesus, most of his teaching was stories, parables. And in Jesus' time, communities were not diverse economically. You'd have a community and their dominant, their dominant thing was, was fishing. Another community, their dominant thing was going to be farming. Another community was going to be shepherding. Their, their communities were not diverse economically. They were built around a single economy. And what, what fascinates me is how Jesus would go into different towns and use a story about them. In other words, if he's in a town that's dominated by fishing, he's saying, you know when you're mending your nets, if he's in a town that's dominated by farming, he's talking about farming stuff, soil and planting. If he's in a town that's dominated by the economy of shepherds, he's talking about when you're counting sheep. He has a knack of not only telling stories that are relevant, but they're relevant to them. Now what blows my mind is here we are 2,000 years later still studying his stories, his parables, because they're still relevant to us. Today's a farming community. And the story is in Matthew 13. Let me read verses 24 to 30. It's basically Jesus just telling a story. But to them it would make a lot of sense. Then Jesus told yet another story. You know, the parable is the storyteller. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who plants a good seed in the field. That night, when everyone was asleep, his enemy came and planted tares among the wheat and then left. Later the wheat began to sprout. And the heads of grain began to grow, but the tares also grew. His servants came to him and said, you planted good seed. Where did the tares come from? The man answered, enemy has done this. The servant said, do you want us to pull the tares now? And the owner answered, no, because if you, pair the, if you pull the tares, you could also pull the wheat. Let the tares and the wheat grow together then until harvest. At harvest time, you will be able to tell. And I can tell the workers, first gather the tares Gather them together to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it to the barn. Simple story. Uh, to them, they would totally get this because this was going on. The upshot of what the story is about, followers of Christ are not supposed to act like people who don't follow Christ. That doesn't sound particularly profound. But modern day churches don't understand this fact. Churches almost begin to try to fit into the mold and style of the world and then we begin to do that. Jesus' followers begin to act a little bit like non-followers. Some in the churches believe that if I can believe in Jesus, affirm some faith, and the notion, it, all we do is a, a, assume some biblical facts, and that makes us a Christian. No. I know, here it comes. When you do that, you ignore kingdom. Kingdom is who we are at the core. Kingdom is living my life that God receive glory. Seek ye first the kingdom. The Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Everything comes back to that sooner or later. Living my life that God receive glory from my life. You were created that God receive glory from your life. The only reason you're on earth is God receive glory from your life. And therefore, everything I do is, is symptoms. How I am as a dad, how you are as a mom, and on and on and on. You've heard it before. Living out kingdom is who we are. But the end result of us fitting into the world is we begin to act and behave like non-Christians. 
we're disciples. We don't masquerade like children of Satan. In fact, the opposite is true. The word says the reverse is true. Satan pretends to be people of light. And those that serve Satan pretend to be children of light. Wait. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 11, 14, 15. Take a look. Even Satan changes himself to look like an angel of light. He's the one masquerading. So it does not surprise us if Satan's servants also make themselves look like servants who work for the what is right. But in the end, they'll be punished for what they do. The ungodly try to appear to be righteous. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be always on the lookout for wolves in sheep's clothing. With that background, that takes us into the story Jesus told about wheat and tares. It's basically a story of sabotage, espionage in the time of Christ. Jesus tells a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who plants good seed in his field. But while he's planting the wheat, an enemy has come and planted tares among the wheat. This is sabotage. Now, farmers back then, they're going, yeah, that happens. I know that happens. They're, they're, they're on board. He's telling them about their life. So when the wheat begin to spring up and bore some grain, the tares become evident. Servants come to the landowner and says, hey, didn't you plant wheat? How come you got the tares? The landowner says, an enemy has done this. So the servants say, should we go and, and tear it all up now? No. Because at this stage, the tares look too much like wheat. You might accidentally tear up the wheat, which is our livelihood. At harvest, we can tell a better difference. At the harvest, I will tell the reapers, go and gather the tares first. Burn them in the barn, and then gather the wheat, take it to the barn. Basically, what's going on? Let's go back 2,000 years. Overplanting a competitor's field with, with tares... Weeds, in this case tares, was common. It was so common Rome had laws against it. I mean, this, this, was, this was part of what they did. It's sabotage. You're trying to end the competition. It's ruthless. Ruin a competitor's crop. Nullify a source of income. If he can ruin his wheat, your wheat is more valuable. The less of a product we have, the more of a seller's market it is. So not only am I ruining him, but my wheat now is more valuable. So this is so common Rome had to have a law against it. So when Jesus is talking about wheat and tares, there are farmers going, oh man, I know a guy that happened to. So overplanting an enemy with weeds. This time the weed is a tear. It's a, it's a darnell. It, it produces useless seed, but at the beginning looks a lot like wheat. It resembles so carefully that, that you, you really have to wait until it matures. It's almost impossible early on to tell the difference between a tear and a wheat. So the landowner in the parable did the obvious thing. When a servant said, should we go and, and tear up the tares? He says, no, no, no. You're going to tear up wheat accidentally. Wheat and tares were so much alike you could ruin the valuable crop. He said, wait until they grow. Once it all matures, it'll be more easy to tell which is which. Take the tares, burn them, and then we have the wheat. Again, this was incredibly common. And it was common for that strategy. They would typically let the weeds grow and at harvest time they, they would separate them. So, you have the basic story. The disciples are now alone with Jesus, and they say, listen, we know this. I mean, some of us are farming background. My dad, that happened to my dad, happened to my grandpa. We know that stuff. What does it mean? Look at Matthew 13, 36. I want you to see it. Then Jesus left the crowd, went to his house. His followers came to him and said, explain the meaning of the story of the weeds in the field. 
So Jesus begins to lay out what he's talking about here. Because all of his stories aren't stories. They're teaching tools. He says, the one who plants the good seed is the son of man. That would be Jesus. I want you to see it. 1337. We're going to walk you through it. Jesus answered, the man who plants the good seed in the field is the son of man. The field, of course, represents the entire world. The good seed is disciples of Christ, true followers. The tares are therefore the enemies of the followers of Christ, followers of Satan. Jesus made this clear. Let's go to the next verse, 1138 of Matthew. The, world, the field is the world. The good seed are all of God's children who belong to the kingdom. Kingdom again. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. So, he's laying it out pretty simply here, isn't he? By the way, the planter of the field is the owner. Jesus is planting the field. So he is the owner. He owns the world. Satan is loose on a leash only. Never forget, Jesus is the land owner. He owns all. He is sovereign. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He is ruler of heaven on earth, period. And as sovereign, he will cultivate his crop at his time. So as the owner, what does he plant? Verse 38, he plants his followers, disciples, submissive to the king, living out kingdom, living under lordship. He plants throughout the world, the field, he plants his followers all throughout the world. So you're planted here in northern Indiana. The tares, the evil one, has been sown by the devil, planted right alongside us, the followers. Matthew eleven thirty nine. We're going to keep going. Excuse me, thirteen thirty nine. Keep going, walking through. Jesus is still explaining it. And the enemy who planted the bad seed—that's the devil. At harvest time is the end of the world, and the workers who will gather are God's angels. So Jesus is identifying all his pieces of the puzzle. There are many living outside of Christ. That's their choice. There are many who've rejected truth and are living a lie, and they've embraced the lie. They're uncomfortable with the lie. You can live a decent life without Christ. The problem is there's no real purpose. There's no big picture. It's just living. There's no kingdom. There's no grand purpose. There's nothing lived out in me. Gene, back off. Kind of, kind of brutal here. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not my story. Just Jesus' story. He's not unkind. He's just honest. Scripture really isn't about being politically correct. Sometimes Scripture is not even kind. Truth isn't always kind. Scripture is about truth. There's a plot going on here. And in Jesus' story, Jesus has sowed children of the kingdom all throughout the world, and the enemy, Satan, has ruined the purity of the crop, mingling his children right alongside followers of Christ, trying to influence followers of Christ, pretending they're wheat, pretending they're under the lordship, until the term Christian means nothing. Is there a more generic term than Christian? Children of evil mingle with children of light, disguising themselves as children of light. And God, the landowner, even allows this. At final judgment, he will separate the wheat from the tares. Don't worry about that. But Satan tries to sow his children as closely as he can to those following Christ, blending them in. If you belong to Christ... You live in the same realm as those who don't. Come on. You breathe the same air, eat the same food, 
You drive the same highways. You live in the same neighborhoods. You work in the same factories. You're living through the same COVID virus here. We go to the same doctors. You go to the same schools. You go to the same stores. You enjoy the same sunshine. When it rains on you, it rains on them. You're in the same field as them, mingled together. At some point, there's an awesome separation. Praise the Lord. So part of the message of wheat and tares really is actually a warning to the church. God does not tell us, remove those unbelievers by force. The disciples were always kind of ready to do that. Take the sickle to the enemy. Like those farmhands, remember? They came to the landowner and said, should we tear away the tares now? Should we destroy them right now? You ever feel like that kind of? Come on. You ever just get tired of all the sin around you? Hasn't there ever, ever been any time in your life you wanted to pray the same thing that David prayed in Psalm 68, verse 2? Let the wicked perish before God. So aggravated by sin and those who perpetrate it. So aggravated by sin by those who profit by it. And even James and John had had it. Don't you love Luke 9, 54? Take a look. James and John says, Lord, you want us to... Con- to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Some days, haven't you just had it? With surrounded by sin, tears constantly around the wheat, haven't you just had it? The servants came to the landowner and said, how about if we tear those tears out right now? The landowner said, no. Too many people want to be the hands of God. But he's made clear, vengeance is mine and mine alone. So when the servants came and said, let's tear the tares out right now, they're told to wait because you might destroy some wheat also. Hadn't that been true? Whenever a religious movement has wrongly tried to rid the world, the church has suffered the most. So many have been slaughtered by their faith throughout church history by misguided zealots of God. 9-11, ongoing terrorism was for God. And even so, yeah, but that, that's a different, whoa, whoa, our hands aren't so clean. Our history, too. The church did go through the Inquisition, where untold numbers of people were slaughtered for God. God doesn't call us to a ministry of Inquisition. He doesn't call us to tear out the tares right now. Our mission is not political. Our mission is not military. Our mission is to be wheat. We are ambassadors for Christ, living out kingdom among the tares. Emissaries of mercy, emissaries of grace, God's ambassadors to a dying world is our role right now. So, get our eyes off any past failure. We don't have time for that. Set them on the kingdom. We're not here by accident. We're in this field. You are planted in northern Indiana. You are planted in this field to be wheat. You are planted by God here. That's why we don't try to escape that fact. We don't sequester ourselves in monastery so that we can have a holy commune. We're planted to bear fruit. We seek tares, those without Christ, to influence them for Christ, about life change, because life Without Christ is an unrelated events going nowhere. Life without Christ is unrelated events going nowhere. Some of those events are good. People without Christ have weddings, and people without Christ have celebrations, and people without Christ have wonderful Christmases, but they're unrelated events. Some are good, some are bad, but they're not really going anywhere. 
There's no grand purpose. Now, you're probably ahead of me saying, time out. The symbolism does break down, doesn't it? Tares cannot become wheat in the story. No matter what you do, they're different plants. Yes. But Jesus is making a point here for us. Those who do not understand Christ need to have the opportunity to become wheat. They need the opportunity to have life change. They need the opportunity to discover living out kingdom. They need the opportunity to have somebody influence them in the field. I mean, this is, this is what Ephesians chapter 2 is called. The whole theme is workmanship. From tares to wheat, from unproductive to productive, from vulnerable to valuable, from existence to really living. Big picture. This is what Jesus is talking about. I've planted and Satan's planted. And you're in the same field. Now, back to Jesus' illustration. He ends it by saying, at harvest time, we'll take the tares out because it's obvious who they are. Wheat and tares will be separated. So, Jesus' harvest time, here is the end of the world. We talked about that a little bit last week. Or maybe for you or me, death, should we die before Christ comes. So, I think we could talk about harvest time whenever eternity begins. Mercy ends. Whenever eternity begins, whether it's the end of the world, second coming of Christ, or, our, or my death, or your death, at some point, eternity begins. And Jesus then has this difficult verse. He continues the story. Matthew 13, now let's go to verse 40. Just as the weeds are pulled and burned in the fire, so it will be in the end of the world. Followers of the evil one who rejected Christ are cast into the fire of eternity. Oh, Jane. Back off. Hey, again, it's not my story. It's Jesus' story. A- am I supposed to ignore part of his story? A- am I supposed to try to change part of his story? Understand this about Jesus, a very basic fact. You can reject him, you can accept him, but you can't modify him. Comes down to simple stuff, doesn't it? You can reject him. You can accept him, but you just can't modify him. Jesus, after that 40 verse, he goes on down, finishes his story with Matthew 13, 42. The angels will throw them into the blazing furnace where people will cry and grind their teeth with pain. Isn't his story of wheat and tares one of the most aggressive stories he tells? Yikes! Talk about the ending. The angels will throw them into the lake of fire and they will grind their teeth with pain. This is for all of eternity. Again, you can accept Jesus, reject him, you just can't modify him. He is what he is and truth is what it is. And truth is truth. And truth isn't always kind. But it's still true. He's He's not trying to be unkind. He's trying to rescue people. He's saying, understand what's real. The wheat and the tares... He's trying to step up and help cause us to step up. Recognize what's valuable. Recognize what's important. The wheat and the tares, which kind of makes us come back and say, so therefore, who are you? Are you wheat or are you tares that just likes going to church? He does end positively. Because frankly, it's a pretty aggressive tale, isn't it? He ends the whole story with Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. You people can hear, listen. He ends pretty wonderfully. The wheat will shine with the Father. And then he kind of pleads, please listen to me. He's calling out. 
in kindness, not meanness. He's calling out in mercy, not aggravation. One thing about Jesus, he never hid the facts of eternity. He always wants to keep the big picture before us. So specifically, how do those servants know the difference between wheat and tares? We know early on it's hard to tell. But as they mature, come harvest time, it's a little bit more obvious. So just as a little background, how do they know what's the wheat and what's the tear? Tares are similar to wheat, but they cannot produce the white kernels. Once they're mature, they cannot produce the fruit. That clearly sets them apart. So the key for us is a spiritual walk. Tares can imitate Jesus, but they can't live the life. They can't live the righteous life. They don't live kingdom. They can, they can say the words, but they can't live kingdom. At the final judgment, the difference will be openly manifest. Real wheat is identified by what it produced. Wheat can't produce dandelions. Wheat can't produce tumbleweed. Wheat only produces wheat, despite the fact that it's surrounded by tares. That's us. We live for Christ, despite the fact that we're surrounded by people who don't. Wheat produces wheat, even though it's surrounded by weeds. Surrounded by those who ignore Christ, or openly battle Christ, doesn't change our ability to live kingdom. Let God receive glory from my life, producing fruit. No matter what we're surrounded by, we become wheat, living out kingdom, surrounded by tares. Jesus, the awesome storyteller, told a pretty powerful tale between the wheat and the tares. Let's stand together this morning. Father, I think a big part of this story that you told was about focus. Sometimes we are, are, are outnumbered because we are. There are more tares in the field than wheat. There are more that openly despise Christ. And there are those who call Christ, but reality is they're just faking it. There's not a whole lot of wheat, but there's a lot of tares, which gives us incredible opportunity to influence, influence so many others. But the reality is we must be wheat first, that we might be eternally with you. Father, may my focus be real. May I live out kingdom in my life that you receive glory in the name of Jesus, in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Next week, I, I, I've got another tale to tell you. You know, Dr. Doolittle is a wonderful children's story. He talks to the animals. And the animals talk back to him. In the Old Testament, we have a Dr. Doolittle. God opened the mouth of an animal and had a conversation with a man. I don't know about you, but by the time the animal talks, I'm running. Why is something that ridiculous in the Bible in the first place? Because it's an important event leading up to this conversation, and the conversation itself is huge impact to us. We're going to unpack the Dr. Doolittle of the Old Testament next week and understand how powerful it is in our lives. Let's worship him again this morning.